0: We are live. Welcome everyone to the Red Planet Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashton Zeth. I am elated to be continuing the conversation about human exploration of the universe and the future settlement of Mars. We have been diligently working to prepare episodes with inspirational guests and provide content that is both educational and intriguing. So today's show uh, features a, a spectacular guest, and I'm eager eager to chat with one of the top 100 influential people in the space field, Rick Tomlinson. Hi, Rick. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Good to have
0: you on. Well, we have uh, before we get started with Rick, I have two Mars Society announcements to share, and then we can we can dive into the the fun stuff with Rick. Uh, if this is your first time joining the Red Planet Live podcast, again, my name is Ashton Zeth and I'm your host. My background is in tech sales, specifically automation and process management software. I also serve as a Mars Society ambassador focused on speaking with K-12 through students about the wonder of space and encouraging uh, kids to pursue futures in STEM. As a longtime space enthusiast, I am passionate about STEM education and making humanity an interplanetary species, specifically a future presence on Mars. So thank you everyone for joining today for supporting Red Planet Live and the Mars Society. And as you will come to to hear me say, the best is yet to come. So with that, uh, two exciting announcements from the Mars Society. Uh, It is with great excitement that the Mars Society announces The promotion of Dr. Shannon Rupert from her longtime role as director of the Mars Desert Research Station in southern Utah, which is the world's largest and longest running Mars analog facility. And now her new role is newly created uh, role of senior director of analog research for the Mars Society. In this new role, Dr. Rupert will over, oversee a new remote science team that will support the MR, MDRS analog crews and will lead our efforts to publish research that she has been conducting uh, at the MDRS, including for the uh, Mars 160 mission, of which she was the principal investigator. So, in her role, uh, she will also participate in the pursuit and management of grant funding. Uh, for the MDRS in addition to other analog research activities and will represent the Mars Society and its research program at various in-person and virtual conferences and events. So congratulations to, to Dr. Shannon Rupert. And speaking of the Mars Desert Research Station, MDRS applications are being accepted for the next field season. Anybody can apply to stay at the MDRS and we have openings available in the fall of 2023 and spring of 2024 and beyond. Application details can be found at mdrs.marsociety.org. So you should see the ticker scroll in there as well. So click on that link if you are interested in uh, journeying to Southern Utah at the MDRS. So now we're gonna shift gears and focus our attention on today's guest. Rick, thank you so much for, for joining. I was, I was really looking forward to this conversation. So for those who, who don't know Rick, Uh, Tomlinson. Rick is a leading writer, speaker, a six-time congressional witness. Rick helped start the first mission to find water on the moon, signed the first-ever commercial data purchase agreement with NASA, helped start NASA's Lunar Exploration Analysis Group, led the commercial takeover of the Russian Mir space station, signed the first private astronaut to fly the space station, co -founded the space Frontier Foundation and was a founding member of Xprize that's a lengthy resume D- did I get all the highlights there Rick
1: no, perfect perfect <laughs> and, you know basically in, in every one of those cases though it was you know the real the real uh way to put it would be helped and was part of you know it okay. was all every one of those was a team effort all the way through
0: all right, humble. We love it. Well, Rick, I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. And and the best way to kick that off, uh, to kick off our conversation, is the reoccurring segment on the podcast called Question of the Day. It's exactly as it sounds. Questions are basic, cover topics all across the board. There's real no right answer. Uh, it's really just meant to be to be conversational. Uh, I, I used to do this with uh, a previous job for a long time. And and we had a lot of engagement. It was always fun to just kind of pick people's brains. So today's question is a, would you rather, so the question, would you rather have a private chef for life or a personal housekeeper for as long as you live? And you can chat, uh, put your answers in the chat as well. And we'll see what some of those are. So Rick, a private chef for life, personal housekeeper. Hit me
1: with the heavy stuff right out of the airlock. Um, That's how we do it private chef versus house, uh, definitely a housekeeper, because I find enjoyment in cooking at times.
0: There you go. I well, don't what find some... any enjoyment
1: in housekeeping.
0: Sure, sure. What are your favorite things to cook then? What's your go to meal?
1: <laughs> I'm a bachelor. I mean, that's a terrible question. <laughs> if it's not moving in my refrigerator, and I can throw it on a pan and there's protein involved, it's probably good. Um, but Oh, I don't know. I I like quesadillas. I make those uh, pork chops. You know, I wake up every morning. I have three eggs and turkey sausage and refried beans, uh, refritos as we call them in Texas. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, you know, I kind of hover towards a keto, but not quite. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Neo keto. You know okay. that. Kind of thing. But no, I, I I'm not a great chef. Once in a while, I get carried away and make something, but. You know, I just enjoy that more than housekeeping. And since you, you asked those two.
0: Yeah, you have, you have to pick one. Uh, I would say for me personally, uh, probably the personal chef. Uh, I also follow a keto lifestyle. So, and I'm also gluten-free. So if I didn't have to make any of my meals, I, I would prefer that. Uh, a little bit more variety a chef could probably provide me. Plus, when it comes to housekeeping – I'm very specific. And if it, if I don't do it myself, it's probably not done right. So I'm going to pick the personal chef.
1: Well, you didn't say anything about harassing the, the housekeeper for getting it right. I mean, you know, because that's going to happen, right?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah.
1: I'm, the guy, I, I'm the guy who walks in and straightens up picture frames, right? I'm I'm that person. So, you know, they're not going to have... be a happy housekeeper. I'm just going to be following around going, you know, whatever. But... A,
0: little, a little critiquing here and there. Well, that's great. Uh, oh, let's see if, if I can see a couple of the chat options. Uh, I see a few responses. Yep. Private chef as well. Yep. Okay. Another another chef. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that a lot of us are on the same page with that. Uh, but now let's get into the, the nitty gritty. Again, thank you for, for coming on today. I, w- I was excited to speak with you. And, and while preparing for today's show, uh, I was reading various articles about you or or. Uh, articles that you had contributed to. And I was really impressed with how many programs and organizations that you've been a part of. Uh, And that was, you know, one of the the reasons I was excited to speak with you is is just your lengthy experience and knowledge. Um, I know that a lot of people are familiar with, you know, the various NASA sanctioned programs, you know, we see Artemis or, um, you know, the original Apollo missions, those type of things, but they're not as familiar with the emerging commercial space industry. And so that's really what I'm, I'm eager to talk about today mm-hmm. and, and give listeners kind of an insider perspective to, to that side of the industry. Sure. Does that sound fair? Is, is that a good place for us to start?
1: Perfect. Yeah, it is an area of concern of mine as, as far as that history being told. So yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, you know, like I said, when I was doing some of my research and and learning a little bit about, you know, the different organizations and projects that you've been a part of, I I kept seeing the term space revolution. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Well, the space revolution, um, I mean, it's a term I've been using for way too long, but it's a transformation from what was essentially um, an ICBM based aerospace industrial complex based Cold War, space program, government-owned and operated based interaction with space. And I say interaction in terms of there was really no opening of space going on. There were different national and strategic and political things that happened in space, but we weren't opening space. We still aren't. Right, um, mm-hmm. and so the revolution involves the rise of uh, what I used to call, uh, you know, Apollo's children, those of us who grew up inspired by what we saw, um, and then began to do something about it, and and that includes, you know, um, different generations post Apollo, right? <laughs> um, my a friend of mine actually flipped that on its head and did a documentary on our mirror project and called it Orphans of Apollo. Um, But basically the idea is to move from a gov-centric approach to dallying in space, to um, exploring and doing, a lot of good, I'm I'm a huge fan of science and exploration. So nothing I will ever say is against any of that. Um, That's a very legitimate uh, activity. But we treated space as sort of a laboratory and a place where we could do political stunts. You know, um, Buzz and Neil um, went up to the moon um, and they took one picture and they were done. You know, I, I call it the most expensive selfie ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, democracy, we're badass. We win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're done. And everything that's happened since then in the gov centric part of it is, in a sense, the momentum left over from the creation of the aerospace industrial complex that allowed that to happen. Giant constituencies that have to be fed, um, politicians that are fed by the companies in those constituencies and on and on and on. There was one byproduct that they didn't count on. And that was a bunch of kids watching that and reading science fiction and watching science fiction and going, you know, I wanna go, you know, I wanna go Star Trek. I wanna make this thing happen. And what happened was it took a few years and then gradually we started to rise up. And, um, you know, we had uh, Dr. O'Neill who wrote The High Frontier, which is behind me here. He wrote this book, um, which was amazing, which basically said, you don't have to be an astronaut to go into space. Um, I don't know if you can see the cover, but in this version, which I, I worked on actually, but in this version, these people are laying on a beach, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite of like I've got the right stuff, you know. This is like I've got this family, you know, And he was trying to make the point that it was for all of us, and so we believed him. And that book in, inspired an entire generation. That, you know, this guy with a book company called Jeff Bezos was inspired by that. Uh, mm-hmm. Diamandis with the X Prize was inspired by, I was a whole bunch of us, and then I, I spun off with some friends and we created the Space Frontier Foundation to sort of go into hand to hand combat with the industrial complex, and that's where the revolution part started, really. And then coming mm-hmm. up through that, were some really, really bright people all over the place coming up with you new know, ideas and technologies, trying to. It's almost like they were leaping up, you know, they're leaping up, trying to open, you know, crack the glass of heaven and enter the mm-hmm. universe. And, um, you know, and then the short version of that is around the year 2000, the billionaires started what I call the billionaire cavalry started showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been out there fighting for 20 years, but they, they show up. They're going for it. The same inspiration, same dreams. And um, I think we're winning. We haven't won. I'm going to be very clear. We have not won yet. This could be shut down in an instant, but we're winning.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I was curious about, uh, speaking of, you know, those billionaire space cowboys, um, you know, that are changing kind of the the landscape of, of the commercial space industry. And, you know, at least from a headline perspective, it's, hey, let's make this more accessible. We're now selling tickets and we're giving... Like you said, not just the, those that have the right stuff, uh, but the family, you know, the opportunity to get experience space. Uh, what do you see is the current challenges of the, the commercial space industry? Uh, where, where do we stand and what are the biggest challenges that the commercial space industry is facing right now?
1: The, the largest is the government.
0: government.
1: Um, the, um, there are individual challenges. Look, I mean, we're betting on basically two guys right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That bothers me. Um, if, if anybody follows me on Twitter, saw me yell at one of them when he was doing Twitter, I was like, dude, you got one job, get us off this planet. That's it. I don't care about the graffiti. I don't care about any of the chit chat. Get us off the planet. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That concerns me. Um, but they're both really working hard. Um, you know, we may not love their personalities, you know, uh, or whatever, but they are doing, um, they're doing God's work and what they're doing however you define that. Um, the government, um, they, they're learning and they're getting better. But you know, we have this ridiculous situation where we have not just um, SpaceX and Blue Origin, but we have, uh, you know, we have Firefly and Rocket Lab. And, you know, there's over 100 space launch companies, transportation, yeah. companies. that's a different yeah. nuance, but they're out there. And lo and behold, that, that juggernaut I told you about, that, that uh, momentum from the aerospace industrial complex, has the government building a thing called the Space Launch System, which I call the Senate Launch Scam. And you know it's absurd. It's an absolute absurdity. History will look back at this moment in time, and they'll be like, why the hell was the government pouring all this money? into this failure of a reusable, non-reusable system. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, the generations that, that government inspired are developing these amazing, totally reusable transportation systems, which is a different from a rocket. Right. right? I use rocket ship and spaceship to differentiate between what people call launchers and rockets. Mm-hmm. Like you don't throw ships away right? You go to and from in a ship. Mm -hmm. And this is, that's the insanity of it right now. I, and this isn't a a blanket condemnation of everybody in the government. um, But there are some people who are feeding at that trough, um, who are just committed to that project. And I just see it as it's, it is probably in the long run, going to be seen as one of the biggest boondoggles um, in, in the history of the space program. And Yet, because, and this is the irony that kind of makes me crazy, I have to admit, um, because they've spread that government largesse around, that money Mm -hmm. for SLS and Artemis is being spread around all over the place. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you've got senators and and people in the House who are like behind it. And what I'm hoping is the way it's going to play out, given what we've got, the situation we're in, is that we will see this Artemis thing start, and then coming up behind it and through it will be new space, will be the pioneers, will be the frontier-oriented people. People have this illusion that Artemis is about opening the frontier of space. It is not. Nowhere in their plan, nowhere in NASA's plan for Artemis is there anything about opening space to us it's not there doesn't exist that's a that's an overlay we put on it ourselves right Mm -hmm. what they're about is going to the moon to practice to go to mars which i totally get that you know you got to camp out in the backyard before you go to the mountains you got to be able to run into the house or call mom to help you right Mm -hmm. Uh, i get that i'm for that but I've been to uh, a NASA NASA workshop last summer, and they were working on Artemis and they were asking for input from people, right? And and I watched their presentation and nowhere in it was anything about folks going, people going. Mm -hmm. The challenge with that is it's an incredible waste rather than taking taxpayer funds And then going, if you want to go to the moon, great. you want to go to Mars, great. But do it in such a way that everything that you spend on doing that enables the people to follow. Mm -hmm. Rather than a certain build it and throw it away psychology. So that's the difference between my approach, which I I call a frontier approach, and the government approach right now. Um, You hit my button, off I went.
0: There we go. No, that's great. You know, one of the questions that I get from friends and family and, you know, they want to know why is there such a divide between organizations like NASA and companies like SpaceX or Blue Origin? And they say, why is it such a big deal that these companies have started and they they're creating these rockets and these, you know, getting astronauts to the international space station. They, they don't necessarily understand why that's so important and it's so monumental to the effort as a whole. So what would you say is the the biggest benefits of having space become more commercial, more private, having these private companies that are going to be sending the astronauts to the International Space Station and eventually beyond? Why is that important?
1: Because the development of a free enterprise, industrial, economic system is what works to empower the people, mm-hmm. right? A state-owned and operated system is not about empowering the people. It is about carrying forward the state's interests, whatever those may be. So having these people compete uh, to bring prices down um, so that you and I can go, for example. Now, it's going to take a while. It's kind of going the wrong direction right now. But it's going to come down. And look, I mean, part of this, too, is, and again, I have friends at Boeing and Lockheed Martin and others, but SpaceX terrifies them. I mean, even China complained about SpaceX. That they're a disruptor
0: in the industry and
1: revolutionized the way that they're
0: gonna be reusing their, their rockets and their systems, absolutely.
1: Right, as will these other players who are coming up fast, right? Who, who as funded, mm-hmm. but that's, that terrifies them, right? They've had a lock on this and it's not necessarily about the NASA money it's about the satellite delivery money and the commercial activity money. Because you have a competitor who's rising up, whose efficiencies and abilities because they're focused on reusability is going to blow everybody else off the map in, in my space fund world. Um, we'll come back to that in a minute. But the, um, you know, we talk about, you know, like, how many rocket companies are there? You know, What, what time is it? Oh, 160, you know. Um, and I would bet at the end of the day, there's gonna be less than 20. It's gonna be bloody, right? And those 20 are gonna be largely, other than a couple of niche players, like uh, rapid response, military rapid response, those are gonna be niche players, I'm sorry, rather than those niche players, they're gonna be companies that are using reusable technologies or maybe you know the slingshot technologies for hardened components and things like that. But it's gonna be bloody right? Because I mean, people are out trying to invent a better horse drawn carriage, just as the automobile is coming online. That's not good. Don't go there. Right? Um, but the beauty of it is, when this happens, maybe, you know, uh, I don't know when your viewers will see all of this, but let's say in March. All right. Um, that's when the universe changes. That's, I, I joked about it in an article. I said that's when the uh, that's when the Balkans show up and invite you into the Federate. You know that's right. That's the moment. Um, and whether it's you know Elon or Blue Origin or one of these other companies that does it first, a totally reusable human capable um, spaceship rocket ship system, everything changes. I mean, you got to think about this. We will open the airlock it's not just about orbit, it's not just about the solar system, you know, I'm going to badly paraphrase one of my favorite authors, Robert Heinlein, but basically the idea is what he said, 100 miles up and you're halfway to anywhere. If we can crack that 100 mile nut, everything opens forever after humanity is different.
0: Yeah, endless possibilities from that point. And you said uh, March, are are you alluding to a specific launch that's expected to happen?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think they're going to try in in March. I think SpaceX is going to take a shot in March. Um, everything, mm-hmm. you know, if everything continues as it is, um, and again, it might blow up. But we know what what um, Elon and Gwen, who who runs it for him, the way they operate, they'll roll out another one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they'll roll out another one, and then they'll roll out another one until they succeed and get it right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, every one of those failures, every time it you know they, they launch and it explodes and there's a big you know fiery crash there. Uh, they're learning something from that experience and they're going to use that information and that data to develop the next one that's going to be even better and and they're going to work through those issues. So you, you bring up a good point though about you know SpaceX and 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 those private you know companies. Um, I keep having this thought about the the private astronauts um you know we're seeing now that spacex is helping launch and carry uh astronauts to the international the international space station so what are your thoughts about private astronauts are they just space, uh just space tourists or are, are they really making a difference i'm thinking specifically of um you know uh, virgin and blue origin on, on new shepherd launching uh, individuals that have paid for for their ticket to be able to go to low oh. Earth orbit, low Earth orbit orbit. Wow, that word's hard. Um, so, are they just space tourists, or are they they doing something that's that's benefiting everyone?
1: Yeah, uh, you just hit another one of my buttons. Um, the, the the word tourist is probably one of the worst branding mistakes ever made in in something as important and historical as what we're doing here. Um, you know, I signed up Dennis Tito, who was the first person to play pay for a ticket to go to the space station. Um, and we spent a lot of time. I actually worked with NASA afterwards, even though they were not for it originally, um, to try and come up with a name. They, they came up with a really ponderous name, Space Flight Participant. It's very bureaucratic. Um, uh, but I actually testified on the Hill at one point uh, after that, and, and said, you just can't call them tourists. This is not about being a tourist. It's a very demeaning um, uh, moniker to put on somebody who's achieving the, something they've worked for their whole life to have the ability to do, Um, in the sense they're risking their life. You know, to me a tourist is, you know, is a fat white guy with a Hawaiian shirt, four cameras around his neck and a string of orangina bottles behind them pissing on a monument. That's a tourist. You know, Disney doesn't call you a tourist. Hawaii doesn't call you a tourist. They call you guests. They call you other names. They never call you a tourist they a tourism industry, that's a different way of using the word. So the point is, these people are creating um, an economic pipeline. They, they're creating the funding and the ability for these companies to, to learn to operate. right? And by the way, there will be people that you can call tourists at some point down the street. I mean, fine. But these people right now are, it's the dream of their life. And they're they're doing something transformational. And while they're doing it, the companies that are carrying them are getting better and better at what they're doing. The cost will come down. I I wrote a couple of articles uh, in space.com about this. um, And the idea of, uh, you know, it's it's, I called it the Elysium effect. And there's this sort of weird movie with... um, I just blanked on his name, but uh, um, you know where the the rich people move to the the ultimate gated community in space, and everybody else is on the ground. And I wrote it a, a couple a year or two two years I think before Blue Origin and, and um, Virgin started flying. And I said, mm-hmm. you no, know, they're going to come after us with the pitchforks because you know you're billionaires and you're flying rich people. You know we're going to be like sipping champagne in space and throwing up in their Virgin Galactic vomit bags or whatever. And, oh, look at us, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it it has happened to some degree, not as bad as I had had been afraid. Um, But again, this is the first tentative reaching out um, and bringing people in. What I really like, and I wanna compliment some of the organizations that are doing this, um, uh, Space for Humanity, the uh, the space prize, um, some of the other groups that are working really hard to get seats mm-hmm. for different demographic groups and people on these flights, and that's to be greatly commended.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one one of the, the companies um, that I think of that is being is sending uh, astronauts to space is, is axum and you know I had a, a specific question. I'm I'm curious on your thoughts here, um, but. In uh, early 2022, NASA publicly you know, shared their plans to decommission the International Space Station and uh, execute a controlled landing of the I- uh, ISS to the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And according to their website, Axum Space has announced that it will establish the first private space station uh, and serve as the successor to the ISS. And the Axum Space Station will initially be attached to the International Space Station and then assembled piece by piece while in orbit uh, before disconnecting uh, from the ISS on its retirement, so I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on there being a, a private space station? Uh, will this potentially hinder or encourage international collaboration? And what 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 do you think they should do with it? Uh, I, I have my own opinions on how they should save it, because uh, me as a, an enthusiast, I would love for them to bring it down in pieces and somehow save it, make it a, a museum, give people the opportunity to tour it, to experience what, you know, a limited number of astronauts have, have got to see. Uh, but what do you think about uh, them, NASA decommissioning the, the International Space Station, and Axiom going to be creating their own?
1: Yeah, so you've hit like button number four now, right? So, <laughs> um, you know all the buttons. Um, but there are several parts to that. Sure. Axiom establishing the first Private sector commercial space station, fantastic. I love Axiom. We've invested in Axiom. I have friends in Axiom. I love the way they're doing it. They're working it from the inside out. But there will not be one successor to the International Space Station. I want to see multiple space facilities on what I call the orbital street. Any more than an industrial park or an economic driver in any community is made up of one company doing one It doesn't work. It won't work. Right. Uh, Again, what's happening is you're seeing the psychology of the NASA aerospace industrial complex where they're basically saying, well, we've got this station and, uh, you know, and we're contractors and we're doing it this way and we'll replace it with a new station. It'll be cheaper Well, you can lease less of it. But, you know, it's a successor, a one to one successor. That doesn't open space. That doesn't open the frontier. And again, God bless my friends at Axiom. I I hope they can change the language on their website. Creating the first private space station, fantastic. But we will not have one successor to space station. And while I'm ranting about this, let's be really clear. The International Space Station will not be deorbited, period. It is not going to be allowed to happen, it will be stopped. I don't care. I you know maybe I get to be like the guy in Tiananmen with the grocery bags in front of the tank or whatever, um, or you know Gandalf. Thou shalt you know you will not pass. <laughs> but I think there's a bunch of us, You just said it. Yeah. It would be again. It would be like after the word the T word, the next great branding blunder of space to dump an entire building on the planet. I have a couple of interesting credentials here. One, I led the team that fought against the space station in the 90s with Space Frontier Foundation. We didn't want the government to build buildings and drive trucks. We lost that vote by one, or we lost that by one vote. We almost killed the space station as it was, or as my friends in NASA said, they saved it by one vote. Number two, I got to watch the space facility we took over, Mir, be dumped into the ocean it was a still functional space facility it was bulldozed to make political room for the international space station because god forbid we have this little cheap motel 6 down the road from the the grand hyatt flying people cheaper and doing things like that even though we're you know we're not as fancy right that had to be removed it was a political obstacle so the irony of it is, of course, here I am saying, you can't deorbit the space station that I fought against. Well, you know what? It's up there. It functions. It's useful. And again, think about the generation, your generation, the generations coming up behind you. What is the message to them of watching this international consortium at the moment that that same generation that is seen as running this international consortium? Has handed them a planet and said, "Oh, we've screwed it all up. You know, clean up on Planet Three. It's all yours. Sorry, we're moving on." What is the message that goes out to that generation by us dumping an entire building on the planet, right? I, it's just obscene to me. Look, I'll tell you what. If I get in my car, I'm in New Mexico, but back in Texas, anywhere in the U.S., if I get in my car and I drive down the street, and I throw a metal can out the window. I am breaking the law and littering. But if I'm an international consortium of governments backed by aerospace of politicians, I can jump an entire building on mother, on the mother world, no problem. No, I'm sorry. That's BS. It's wrong. My plan. So do do? I, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, I say, what do you think that they should do with it? How, how, do, how do we save it? How do we salvage what's already there rather than? I
1: think, I think there's ways it. to do it. I think there's, so first of all, what you do, you you salvage what you can which means you're going to have to put salvage right regimes and things like that, workout deals. You take the pieces you can still use and use them in other facilities. Great, right? Um, Number two, you take the core of it, what I call freedom. The original name of the core was freedom when I first started. Um, And you take that and you up-orbit it. You push it up into a storage orbit as far out as you can, maybe an L point, something like that. There are different ways of doing this. We were going to use tethers, a tether on the mirror, which interacts with the Earth's magnetic field. It slowly, slowly, slowly pushes you up until we were blocked by the State Department. Um, Or there, there are other ways to do it. Thrusters, you could do all kinds of different things. You move it up, you shut it down, you mothball it, you declare it a universal heritage site, so that the children of those generations that are going to be freely transiting the solar system can see where it all started. Now there's another approach. Um, and, and you and I had chat had a chat a while back about some of this stuff. Um another approach would be you could, and I I could I could understand it, it wouldn't be my preference. You could take it apart and bring it back down to the earth piece by piece, um, in empty cargo, you know you know, you've taken your stuff up, you're coming back down with something and then reassemble it at like the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. I would be cool with that. I kind of like the idea of it keeping it in space, but I could see that, right? But this idea that you just, see the reason I'm so adamant about it is it gets to this, use it and throw it away. This is the plundering and pillaging of humanity on the mother world that has characterized our civilization. Continuing in space, and it has to stop. This is the moment in the history of humanity where we can shift gears and start caring about this planet and what we call in Earthlight using the four R's: reuse, recycle, replace, repurpose, and resources. Right, and just reuse stuff. Why you got to throw it away? You know, let's 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 use the what we're doing in space is a symbol of how we can be as human beings and um, related to our home planet.
0: Yeah. I agree with you there for sure. This, this mentality of, of use it and throw it away uh, overconsumption is, is plaguing our earth right now. So why would we do that with this, you know, historical thing that we've had for so long that we could find a much better use for it uh, than, than just throwing it into the ocean and, you know, letting it drop to, to the bottom. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I like your idea about, you know, up orbiting it and, and letting it remain there. Maybe maybe that's a, an opportunity to buy a ticket someday. You get to actually fly to it, visit that. That's that's your opportunity to visit space uh, is, is to go to the, the space station. So that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. One of the things that, that you just mentioned was um, Earthlight Foundation. And so was hoping we could talk a little bit more about that. I I saw uh, on the website that the mission was to, or is to, uh, provide a core belief system for humanity, our relationships with each other, and the family of life, based on an understanding of who we are and our aspirations about how we become as we enter the universe. And so, I'm curious, you know, tell us a little bit more about the the Earthlight Foundation. What is that core belief system? What's its purpose, and how how is this benefiting human exploration of the universe?
1: Yeah, it's. I'm actually working on a book on on the uh, what I call the principle uh, the, the purpose of people, and you know having been a veteran of this field um, and trying to convince different constituencies over the years as to what this is all about. Um, over time, I gradually began to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to convince the the uh, the left brain people, you know, close the business plan and. Here's how it balances in the spreadsheets and this and that. And we're trying to make all these rationales that, that fit into the industrial society we have, the political society we have. And I kept pushing down and down and down, trying to get deep, deep, deep into what it is that this is really about. And it, it conflates with, or conflates with, it, it, it merges with sort of the need that we have in our society right now to understand what the hell we're here for why are we here why do human beings exist right um and what came to me and you know i I tell a story but i did a tedx about it where i was standing out in a field and i just lost my mom and and I'm, i'm sort of getting this feeling about things um but what it came down to for me was what i call the principles of purpose and there's three of them um so to protect and expand the domain of life. I am on team life, right? The universe is basically a battle between life and death. The universe is constantly trying to be born in in a sense of planting the seeds of life that can then become the seeds of sentience and all of that, right? So there's life and then there's dead. I'm on team life. First, you gotta take care of your home. Friend of mine used to say, you can't save the neighborhood until you take care of your house. Right. right? So first we save the planet, the mother world. Then we expand out into the universe by carrying the seeds of life. I want to see butterflies on the moon, trees on Mars, you know, that kind of thing. I just really want to see that. I believe that's a powerful thing. The second one is to honor and evolve humanity. I honor human civilization I honor where everybody has come from. Now let's get together and go somewhere together and become better at being human beings. You know, when you hear about, uh, when you talk about BLM or um, Me Too or whatever, um, what that is, is humanity beginning to understand itself from many different perspectives. These are groups of people that are showing up on the scene going, you know, you've been looking at our history this way. I kind of look at it this way. And it gives us a richer understanding of who we are. I mean, one way to visualize it, imagine that we're all standing on the edge of this amazing thing called the frontier. And there's Elon and there's Bob Zubrin and all you're standing. We're all standing there. Out in front of us is the undiscovered country of the future, this this amazing place that we're going to go and we're going to create all of these dreams. Behind us is our history, who we've been, what we did, all of those things. We can look at that now In ways we've never, we could see the beginning of the universe using our telescopes. We're pushing back the age. Every time I look at the news, the science news, they push back the age uh, 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 of when human beings started using tools. We're learning so much about who we have been. We also know in our history that the basic history of industrial society has been an attack on the ecosystem. We've moved out, Mother Nature has been pushed back. Right. And so we have all this new perspective. Now let's look at the future and go, Okay, as we enter it, can we evolve? Can we become better? Can we not just nurture the mother world? Can we nurture each other? You know, there's one place in the solar system right now where Russians and Americans get along and care about each other. They actually love each other. That's the space station. It's a model of what we can be. And we can do that if we try. It's going to take a lot of work, but we can do it. And so if that was the first two, right, to honor and evolve human civilization. Right now, we're, we're apes with tools. We're apes with rockets. We're walking around just a, you know, a few hundred thousand years or maybe a million years after getting some sort of sense of self. And we're going, you know, what am I here? Uh, you know, I need more. I need to have more. I need 12 tes- Teslas in my driveway, you know, that kind of thing. Well, what's next? And so the last one is to explore and experience the universe. Now that's the fun one. That, you know, cuz it's out there. Let's go. Let's let's look at it. Let's feel it. Let's touch it. Let's taste it. Let's make the universe alive because we are its sensing mechanism of itself. If life wins and sentience rises, the universe itself becomes a living thing, like Gaia. You know, it, we begin to create that. Now, why is that important? It sounds so airy-fairy, blah, 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 Because one of the things I kept finding in everything I was doing was that first principles, at the very top, guide how you operate. We could be pushing around the edges. We can go to Washington, and, you know, there's this March storm Thing that a lot of the groups do and all of this, and we can push around the edges, but until you change the reason we're going into space, it's just going to go back into its form. You know, until the the law that sets up NASA says we're going NASA's job is to enable people to go and live there, it's going to be an afterthought. You're always going to be fighting against that. And then once you get out there, how are you going to survive? The people who are gonna survive are gonna be driven by something. I was talking to a friend of mine who was an actor in um, um, The Expanse many years ago. And and they said to me, you know, Rick, it was, it kind of blew me away because you know, they were really thinking, they were like, Rick, when you're living on Mars, you know, you know, I said, you're gonna be living under Mars. and they said, Yeah, okay, well, when you're living under Mars, it's gonna be rough, you know it's going to suck. I mean, it's going to smell like a locker room. You're not going to be getting out in the sun. You know, it's going to be rough at first. It's really going to be hardcore. Those people are going to need a belief. Those people are going to need something to hang on to. That's what Earthlight's about. Earthlight is about not being an organization. We're not like the Mars Society or anything like that. National Space Society, any of the groups. Our goal is to get everybody in all of those organizations to take a look at those principles and say, you know what? Okay, I get it. I get it. And this is how we're going to operate. And if you're operating that way, you're not throwing space stations away. You're not building the largest, most polluting rocket ever in history. You're not leaving piles of garbage on the moon on your way to Mars. Everything you do becomes uh, um, a, a way of manifesting those principles. And that, to me, becomes an exciting future because now we can sell that to generations on this planet that have basically been handed a a, a basket case. Right? We could sell that. That's exciting. That's a future worth living into. No matter whether you're a Mars person or a Free person, a Moon person, or one of these wacko Venusian cloud people, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: They're not wacko. It's just, you know. You know, you want to watch that first step. Anyway, go ahead.
0: There we go. No, that that's great. That that's exactly what I was I was looking for uh, about you know Earthlight Foundation. Uh, I know that we are getting close to time. I think we've got about fifteen minutes left. I wanted to make sure I gave the opportunity for our listeners to ask questions. Um, so I'm going to be looking for for some of those to go come through. But I've got one other question. I know we're we're running on time, and of okay, course so I've great. got a ton more. But. I'd wanted to get one question in about space fund and obviously you're, you're repping uh, space fund right now on your hat. And so wanted to just know a little bit more about what space fund is. I know it's an investing in these startup companies uh, and I wanted to know, are there any specific developments, innovations that have been created uh, that have been, you know, part of that investment uh, I, I know. Looking at the website, there were a few few companies that I recognize, like Orbit Fab, for example, is one of those uh, with with their their gas stations in space. So, can you tell us a little bit about Space Fund and kind of what the purpose is? What have been those developments and innovations that have come from those investments?
1: What yeah, do you I, compare? I come from a very pragmatic, working class kind of family, and the whole idea is you got to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. And you know, knowing what was coming, knowing that we're about to hit that moment. You know, um, I decided to go ahead and, and start space funds so that we could invest in frontier enabling companies. And if you look at our website, you'll see there's this range and they kind of all work together in different parts of the ecosystem in space. But the real goal, overarching goal, was to take um, these brilliant entrepreneurs who need funds to get started because we focus on startups. I mean, mm-hmm. Axiom is one of our investments. Love them. Um, you know, We have a, you know, a pinch of SpaceX, uh, things like that, but we're really focused in on these little startups that, that we really like and help these brilliant entrepreneurs get going, but also take investors who are hitting our field as it becomes cool to do so, don't know their way around. Maybe they're going to get you know, attracted by shiny objects and put them together with these great investments so that both sides prosper. The companies rise, the investors get great returns. And in the meantime, creating some of these tools, right? So, I mean, we have, uh, uh, you know, Eden Grow Systems, which is working on, uh, you know, uh, food in space, like Orbit Fab, uh, which is my old partner from Deep Space Industries, uh, Daniel Mm -hmm. Faber. Uh, we have companies working on, uh, we have Radian, which is is one of the only transportation companies that we're in because it's a reusable vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Uh, some of the B2B stuff, computer interactions, uh, you know, signal and things like that, uh, location finding in space, RIA, space systems, uh, um, companies like that. Um, it's a wide range, but they all are either going to enable or benefit by the opening of the frontier.
0: Yeah, we call calling you an
1: investor. We're, 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 I can't advertise, but I can say that much. Yeah, there we go. Uh,
0: no, no, that was great. I, I, like I said, I recognize a couple of those those company names, uh, and so yeah, thank you for sharing what what you can about those. I know probably some of that information is you know proprietary. We can't say exactly what they are in development of. Uh, at this moment, but I knew a, a couple of those, and so I'm, I'm glad we could touch on that. Uh, we do have two questions here that I want to get answered from from our listeners, and one is uh, a question from Tasha says, "From what you've witnessed, how has space art shaped the trajectory of space exploration, both in the past and present?"
1: Art, was that the word? Art,
0: yes. Oh. From what you've witnessed, How has space pivotal. art? Pivotal.
1: Shaped- it's absolutely pivotal. Absolutely pivotal. I mean, before I could speak, you know, the words of space, I saw the pictures of space. Mm-hmm. I saw the visions of space. Um, we get caught up on the engineering and the science and the technology. The thing that comes first, the arts, the written arts, the visual arts. You know, I was watching Star Trek. I wanted to be Captain Kirk. Right. I mean. Mm-hmm. 2001 Space Odyssey, best movie ever, you know, it is the art. And then just the, the regular, the, the painting art, the Bob McCalls, um, there, there's so many. Pat Rawlings, one of the great artists. Uh, my good friend Peter Thorpe, who does all these rockets and stuff. Um, there, are, there are not enough space artists. There never will be enough space artists. Uh, and I want real ones, not AI. I want people. I like the soft, squishy people, you know, not the AI stuff. But art is critical, and um, and I love it. My my office at home, I have art all over the place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know I've uh, got quite the collection here. I'm, I'm sure you do as well. Uh, I can tell from your book collection. I'm, I'm sure you've got lots of art as well. Uh, but yeah, you can see a, a couple of my pieces there. Um, one other question that I do have, while while we've got the time, from from a listener is. Um, you know, why go to the poles of the moon to search for water? It's obviously critical for life, but why is it important to search for water on the moon?
1: Oh, it's very important. Um, we can use it for so many things. If you've got water, you have air, you have propellant, you have so many different things. Um, one of the great things about the poles is it turns out that um, there are certain, certainly the crater rims, enable you to be able to go down into the bottom of the crater and find the ice. And the top of the crater at the rims are what are called the peaks of perpetual sunlight, which means you have the energy, solar power up there to be able to power your ability to go down and mine the ice. China and the US are gonna be very much locked in a race for that ice. Now, at some point, because you know i I co-founded one of the asteroid mining companies so the asteroids are definitely in play right now while the government is going there let's go for the ice we need it we need the water um we need to be able to refuel in space again living off the land the fourth R: resources 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 reuse everything you've got and what you can't reuse harvest from where you are that's how economies are born that's That'll just enable us to move out and, and begin to yeah, establish a civilization on the moon. And by the way, people are like, eh, nobody's gonna live on the moon. People live freaking everywhere, right? There are gonna be people who live on the moon. That's it, they're just gonna live there. There are people that live in the Sahara who look at people in New York City and go, how do you do that? Right? And vice versa. So there'll be people who are very proud. Um, lunarians, or what I call Homo Lunaris, the the species that develops on the moon. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the lunar craters. I think that uh, the fact that we were able to confirm hydrogen and then basically water and various you know various uh, blends of water and, uh, and different ices and, and volatiles as they're called uh, that's very very important. That that's that's the high ground there. We, we're going to want that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there as well. Uh, I've got another one here to ask about Doug space, about motivation. Dr. Doug Plata saying that, right. Is that, is mm-hmm. that ringing bell?
1: Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, well, look, I'll, I'll just put it this way. There are a lot of people who, um, have contributed a lot to this field. Right. And, um, how would I put it? There there are some of us who like are out we're out loud and there are people who've been working in it and, and rolling along doing a lot of good work. You know, and that's why I'm. I also should mention, by the way, I support Mars. You, you didn't get to ask me about Mars. Um, but I'm it's a, on
0: the list. Only only so much time for so many questions.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mars. Um I'm a bit of a free spacer myself, you know, because I, I want you to be able to on your way to the moon and mars you like have to stop and get a cheeseburger at rick's you know space station or whatever but um you know i'm a big fan of mars i love what the mars society does i go i love speaking at the mars society whenever i can um and as you know we helped give a little bit of funding to get it started back in the day but seriously bob zubrin is one of the heroes of the cause. And I like the seriousness of the Mars Society, it, it's very focused. I have a very strong feeling that a percentage of Mars Society members will be taking those first starships to Mars.
0: That would be pretty incredible. Maybe, maybe there's a chance i uh, will get to be a part of that. Uh, one last question since I know we're, we're coming up on time here is, will those who want to go only be motivated by the profit motive or will there be other motives?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a quick answer They'll be either motivated by the prophet Or by prophets North America Was basically established By people who went for religious reasons Utah, Israel, the world The first Some of the first people who go Are going to go not Because they're making a buck But because they believe That that's why they are here or there is something in their philosophy that tells them they should go. It's one of the reasons we established Earthlight. We want people to have that driver and understand that this is bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Money only gets you so far. There are a lot of rich people who are not happy because their souls are empty, because they have no purpose. I have a purpose. My purpose is to enable you and your generation and anybody else to go. That gives me something to wake up for every morning and something to fight for for the rest of my life. Those people who are going to go out there are going to need that kind of power, that kind of strength to say, you know what? We're doing this for something. We're doing this yeah. for something bigger than we are. Life. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, I, I would say confidently that any of the current astronauts if you ask them why they went their first answer is not going to be the money uh the the answer is going to be i'm i'm pursuing something that is greater than myself that is greater than my country uh that is to help all of humanity and, and to you know open the like you said the frontier for for the next uh giant leap of, of humankind uh not just because you know of the paycheck that comes in um absolutely. so yeah you you absolutely are right there uh, I think that is where we're gonna finish for for questions. Um, so thank you, everybody that has participated and submitted questions today and and participated in our chat as well. Rick, thank you so much for your your time today. I, I very much appreciate you hanging out with me and answering my questions. there There's a ton more that I didn't get to, so I, I may send you those uh, afterwards because I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, But thank you so much for for coming on, for answering our questions, for speaking with me, for sharing your knowledge and your experience. And I hope, you know, as as I can speak for myself, but I'm sure uh, others feel the same way, feeling inspired about where we're going, that the commercial space industry is going to open more doors for those, myself included, uh, that want to see more opportunities and space, make it more accessible for, for everybody, give more people the opportunity to experience uh, what is out there. And again, like I said, the, the next giant leap for for humankind. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you very much. Great questions. I uh, appreciate your audience. And again, we have a purpose. It's very, very clear.
0: We all do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take your recommendations on, on some of the books and, and movies I should be watching. So I'm going to add that to my, to my read list. Um, thank you, Rick, of course, for your time. Thank you to our executive director, James Burke. Thank you to uh, our PR director, Michael Stoltz, our friends at Liftport, Michael and Leah. Thank you for your, all your help with today's stream. And, and thank you to everybody that's tuned in today. I appreciate your time as well. Thank you for participating. And we're going to we're gonna call it a good day there. Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your evening. And we'll see you soon.
1: Good day. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye.